This episode of Unsweetened and Unfiltered is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash unsweetened and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a free title, and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com slash unsweetened. Personally, I'm a huge fan of Audible. I have long commutes, ladies, on the metro train. I don't want to lug around all my books that I'm reading, so I just download Audible on my phone, and I just download the book that I want to read. So make sure you visit the site at audibletrial.com slash unsweetened. Welcome to episode number four of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. Zaina, we made it to episode four. Who would have guessed that we would make it this far? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I had hope in us, but yeah. to have such amazing women come on our podcast and bless us with their beautiful, like, deep stories that are just... It's so moving and it, it's so inspirational. It is because these are not like, I guess sometimes these are not typical conversations you would have with somebody that you initially no, meet. You, you don't just like... just meet, yeah. Yeah, you don't introduce yourself. a lot of these yourself. people we're meeting for the first time and we're speaking with for the first time. Exactly. So, and you're getting like really personal, really intimate with the conversation. So it's, I feel like platforms like this makes it easier for people to kind of like open let up their walls down. Yeah. And kind of like talk because if you were, you, know, you run into someone on the street, you're not going to have conversations. Like, about, Hey, yeah. my name is Dunya. Tell me your deepest, darkest <laughs> yeah, secret. You know, that doesn't happen. That would come off really weird. Yeah. But no, I mean, it doesn't happen. We everybody loved May's episode last week. Yeah. Um, it was just we so, loved her. Yeah, oh my God, I still love her. This yeah. girl's like she's so sweet she's and so cute. But it was just nice. Like I've never talked to um, a Middle Eastern actress before, so it was yeah, just interesting neither. for me to just listen to their stories, how it feels to like represent us in the yeah. media world, in shows, and everything like that. I'm excited for uh, Rami coming me to Chicago. Too which yes. is when is it is it next weekend yeah sunday yeah sunday you guys he's taping an eight and like an hbo comedy special. show yeah. special in chicago like i'm so grateful that he chose yeah, chicago me i mean obviously it's the best city in the uh, world debatable but yeah. <laughs> whatever but i'm just glad that he's coming it's gonna be i don't know it's, it'll be fun it's so yeah. it's just like cool to see somebody that's like one of your own he's oh, gonna yeah. be on stage so you know he's gonna make a lot of jokes about being, being arab. arab yeah so you're gonna like relate easily oh, and everything yeah, 100%. i'm excited for that yeah you sound better you were sick thank you i was so sick this week and it wasn't even like just sick it was i was sick because of exhaustion yeah this week was like super tough at work we had like breaking news almost every single day on top of elections it was just it was so much i was working like 14 hour shifts a day i mean you had bizarre news from a kid claiming that he was a missing child from like and years it wasn't. ago and he was like i'm a 14 year old missing child and like then, no you're 24 yeah. and you're a convicted felon like why are you lying and like, then we was... have our first black female mayor <laughs> yes. in chicago so it's like that you was had, big news you were like all over it the place with insane, this insane but i'm just happy this week is over and i never thought you can get sick from exhaustion oh yeah you I'm can saying it like really heavily but I had that once happen to me last year. Well, Lahi, it was it was like a full on sickness. Like that's yeah. it. I was sick. I was in bed. I couldn't get up, and my body was just like it's, your body shuts down. So Panadol, it's like your body telling you like Dude, enough is take enough. Take a chill yeah. pill, relax. Like you really. And we often forget. Like we do like self care in the means of like you know face mask and spa days, but we don't really like self care when it comes to our health, our actual bodies. Yeah, yeah you're and absolutely it's right. So important to like 
listen to your body when you've had enough, when it's telling you like enough. And like, we need to not be so afraid to call into work and be like, hey, I can't make it to work today. Basically. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm sick. I can't do this. I can't do it. Because the way, like for me, I'm weird like this. Like everybody that knows me that's close to me knows that like I'm literally in bed by 11. Like call us. Like I like to be in bed. I don't care if the world is ending. Like I better be in my PJs or ready about to knock out. Yeah. And then I wake up every morning at six. But then again, like throughout the day, how I stay energized is coffee. I don't drink coffee or tea. Zena's like one of those weird people that you're going to come across that's very rare. Just, I've tried different like flavors, different blends. I just don't understand. I just can't get into it. I don't I understand. wish because I need that energy. I need, I'm I drink, always so sleepy. <laughs> I drink two cups a day. Like one cup like in, like in the afternoon when I'm at work, I'll go on my break just to chill and wind. Yeah, we all see shop. the Instagram post. And yeah. Girl, I mean, come <laughs> on. Do you see that latte art that they like do for me? I'm like, oh my God, I love Honestly, it. Honestly, I want to get latte sometimes just for Instagram. Yeah, like, it's like so pretty. <laughs> it's so pretty. And I put like my little book or whatever. But yeah, and then I like get another cup of coffee at night before going to bed. I, like I'll unwind and read again. Yeah. And yeah, that's basically yeah, it. I, I just, wish I could get into it, but I just don't like it. That's just the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. You know, I used to be a tea person, but whatever. Transitions into coffee because yeah. tea it just, is not as Instagrammable. That's what I was about coffee. to say. I was about to say a latte <laughs> is more photogenic <laughs> than anything. But since you were sick, you unfortunately missed um, an event that I got to go I know, to. I was so mad this Saturday. Um, I got to see and meet Yasmin Majeli, which is actually our guest for this episode. Um, if you guys are familiar with the brand Baby Fist, she is the force behind it. Yeah. She is amazing. Um, what she was doing was um, she traveled from the Middle East. She came to various cities here in the U.S. She made a pit stop in Chicago for her typewriter project. I don't want to go too deep into it because we discussed it in yeah. the episode. Um so again, like I said, she's like in her early 20s. Like, I'm like amazed at her. She like, created this like whole global revolution when yeah. it comes to like Arab feminist, gender equality, just like. That's what she really focuses on a lot is just the gender, gender equality. equality. Yeah. Yes. I mean, all of this started just from her moving to Palestine, seeing things firsthand when it yeah. comes to sexual harassment and whatnot. Street harassment. Yeah, yeah. just like. It also happens in the U.S. and everything like that. I'm telling you guys, like, literally, I wear a potato sack every day to work. And not because of my coworkers, but just walking to, like, downtown to a train is just a very uncomfortable feeling. So I feel like the less they see the less I'm uncomfortable yeah, the more you and protect yourself. Yeah. Which the more, is so like, yeah, wrong. I can't be fashionably cute anymore. Yeah. And it's just sucks that you have to feel that way sometimes as a girl, yeah. honestly, but you know, it is what it is, but yeah. So I'm excited to have her on. Um, we yeah. have a great conversation with her. Um, of course we'll have a giveaway. Yeah. We always have a giveaway. So like I said, Yasmin Majeti is the founder of baby fist. She's not just tied down to a brand. I feel like it's even more than a brand. Like I said, it's a revolution, but of course she's been coming out with so many great pieces. And I think it's just very fitting to do a giveaway to just like have somebody win one of the jackets that she has. Her stuff is so, it's not only great quality. Yeah. Great quality. It's not only like good looking, Every piece has like a, a statement. statement. It's a statement. Yeah. Yeah. Like recently I bought the Mudarwish jacket. Yeah. Oh my God. I loved it. Me and too. It has I a, love one mine. of his poems yeah. on the back. Um, I, I loved it, honestly. Yeah. So um, also, I Heart Halal is this weekend. It's this weekend, yeah. Yes. I hope to see you guys. We have Lupe Fiasco, Neilam, all coming out. It's going to be great. There's going to be a lot of like the amazing bloggers and the chefs and the cooks. I mean, we talked about this in the previous episode. Yeah, so 
everything. A lot of people everything are coming out of town yeah. too. Yeah, I'm down for just just seeing people that you know. I'm just meet down them. to go to Navy Pier and have the weather be perfect. And, yeah, yeah. Which kind of makes me want to like call off now every <laughs> other Monday, but I'm gonna try really hard not to. But I think we're ready to talk to Yasmin to introduce her, and yeah, let's dive in. Let's do it. Hello, Yasmin. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys That's doing? Good. good. We're well, both such big fans of your brand and what it stands for. But for the people who aren't familiar with Baby Fist, why don't you give them just like a overview. general idea of what Baby Fist is and what it represents? Yeah, of course. Um, so Baby Fist was started um, out of my apartment in Palestine in the heart of Ramallah about... A year and a half ago, almost two years, um, and it was started initially um, as a reaction against street harassment. I was really frustrated that there wasn't um, a large enough and public enough conversation around not just street and sexual harassment, but around gender-based issues of discrimination and oppression, um, and I felt like I wanted to establish a platform and a community that could have this conversation. So. Um, I started it by just painting on the back of denim jackets that I was donating uh, the proceeds to these local causes, and it kind of took on a life of its own. And it grew into what we are today. And um, Baby Fist does three different things um, that, or three or four different things that I believe are kind of necessary to who we are um, and our place in society at large. So, firstly, um, we create a safe space for people, women, men, um, and everyone in between to come forward and discuss these issues that they're affected by um, in a very safe space, um, uncensored, unfiltered. And we do this through our online platform. We do this um, in workshops in Ramallah, um, and, and we do this through our blog posts. And then secondly, we create all of our apparel in Gaza um, and the West Bank. This is because we're really interested in investing in the local economy because we have so many um, issues thanks to Israeli occupation. Um, our economy is only a fraction of what it should be. It's not as vibrant as it should be. It's not as free or strong as it should be. And so, Especially you know, now we have more so much than talent in our community, we have so much. It's like, why not, you know, start the business there than start it elsewhere? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That's one of the issues that I have with actually a lot of um, brands that come up in the world that are um, wanting to support these peoples, but aren't investing in them properly. I don't feel like it's enough just to donate. I feel like you need to actively mobilize the community as well to engage them as opposed to making it this like charity case, because that's not what it should be. And that's not what it is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and so then the last um, pillar would be that we we do do we do donate, but we're not just throwing money at whatever organization that goes like unnamed on our website. Mm -hmm. um, we invest our funds in, in a menstrual education campaign um, for fifth and sixth grade schoolgirls in Palestine. So we're also mobilizing our community um, within Palestine and without Palestine around a very specific yet very critical um, cause. That's that's honestly amazing, but it's like. How does one even think of that? Like you took a jeans jacket and you're like, I'm going to make a statement with this jeans jacket. And then literally your whole revolution started with three words, jacket, not yeah. your Habibi. Like what made you even think of that? 
um the, of the words not your I hobby honestly team. yeah not to cut you off but I really love it like when yeah. I because I'm it is true you did just start out a year or two ago and I remember when I came across your page I was like how did I just see this brand and it's because you were new <laughs> I actually the first time I heard of the brand I forgot what like major influencer yes it was a major influencer was like wearing the jacket and I'm like oh my god like I want that like it's yeah it was it just like blew up like Michelle blew up out of nowhere it just came up and- as it should have it started with Not Your Habibti, yeah, and then yeah. Baby Fist came afterwards. Um, because when I when I made that jacket, I it wasn't it was very personal. I made it just for myself actually, and I had it hanging in my closet for about a year before I pulled it out. Oh wow! Um, and I pulled it out on International Women's Day in 2017, um, and I posted a picture in it, and suddenly it went viral. Um, and I, you know, around that time, I was seeing all of these jackets that women were wearing all over the world that were like Not Your Baby. But they were white women and they were wearing these like really expensive multi-hundred dollar jackets that I could never get. You know, most yeah. girls can't get. So I was like, yeah. okay, how can I, I'm just going to make one for myself and I'm going to make it cater to my heritage as a Muslim Palestinian woman. So I, I made it not your Habibti. Um, and so that started the conversation um, because it coincided with my, my frustration about like I couldn't go into the streets. I couldn't go to the ATM. I couldn't go to a coffee shop. I couldn't go anywhere without being harassed. And eventually I saw the way I was changing was, or sorry, the way I was dressing was changing. Uh-huh. You know, I wasn't wearing the things that I thought I looked cute in or felt confident in. I was suddenly dressing to protect myself. Oh my um, God. I could relate because off mic, I told you like, yes, you're in Palestine, but this issue is worldwide because here I am in Chicago and wearing baggy I haven't bought to... anything cute in the longest time. Like Zena, how about yeah. you? Like, honestly, yeah, yeah. all we're wearing is big sweaters and, and just... not just because we live in Chicago and it's cold, but it's because you want to protect yourself yeah. against those those looks and those words and it's so uncomfortable and just degrading and I just I try to avoid that by knowing if they look at me sorry you're not gonna get anything out of it because literally I'm wearing a potato sack (laughs) and some loose jeans and that's it so that's how you felt yeah yeah and that's the thing it's like you know on the days that I was look wearing like a potato sack and I thought I was so hideous men were still looking and honking and making comments yeah thirsty men are thirsty men if they want to impress they're out there um but yeah you're right it happens in Chicago it happens in New York it happens in London and I think that's a really critical part of the conversation because in the beginning it was you know all of these western journalists you know were coming in and wanting to cover this story and every headline every subtitle was calling it like patriarchal Ramallah or patriarchal Middle East I read those articles like as I was doing research for this podcast episode and I was like I don't like the way this is worded like it's not like what you said their quotes they 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 represent exactly what you want to say but then it's so easy to turn your words into like oh it's an oppressed country it's an oppressed people but what you're doing is kind of the opposite of that you're like highlighting that we're not oppressed and that we do have a voice it's not limited to only exactly. our culture and our exactly. community but it's very dangerous headlines sometimes that's all people really read and they feel like they got the gist of the story without having to dive in right. so headlines are super important but um you're doing a lot of great 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 work mashallah yasmin so i definitely commend you for that for trying to make this another conversation about how yes it is a worldwide issue stop focusing on us yes, you know yeah well, and it's it, well that's it's true that it's a worldwide issue, but another thing that I'm sure you saw, you know, from your research was a lot of journalists, white Western and European mm-hmm. journalists were calling this the Me Too movement of yes, Palestine. I did see that. And, and not once have I ever used the hashtag the, Me we, Too. We have that written oh, you on, never did. Yeah, we had that no, written I on never, our board to ask you about because 
so many articles started with like the Palestinian Me Too movement, the girl who's right. trying to change it or like, you know, or trying right. to like they were trying to relate you to what's happening in the Western world. Well, they weren't even just trying to relate it to the Western world. They were trying to make it look like the West came up with this movement. And now look how the rest of the world is copying us. Okay. Women of color are being inspired once again by white women. And it girl, just was like... Yeah. Girl, bye. That, no, that's <laughs> not... No. I think the Western world thinks they created the concept yes, of feminism. Exactly, Zainal. But it goes back to Prophet Muhammad's days and, and Khadija, who was a businesswoman herself. And I think it's so easy, like, when you think of, like, who is an Arab feminist, it kind of takes you a while to, like, pick those names out of your brain and come up with some something because you're constantly focusing on, like, the Western, the Western idols, the Western, you know. And it's like, if you look within our own community, you see so many women, like, standing up. And, and they have been. They have been raising their voices for centuries. But it's just not highlighted in the way that the Western world is highlighting it. How do you define a Palestinian feminist? Or if that's what you want, even put the word Palestinian before mm -hmm. feminist. What do you think about that, Yasmin? Um, well, you know, before I dive into what I think that means, I, I do want to touch on what you have just sort of touched on, which is the word feminist in general. You know, yeah. even in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, um, we are there's a huge group of people who really have an aversion to this word. They refuse to use the word feminism. Even if they are fighting for women's rights, they're not going to put that work and that goal under that word feminism because you know, thanks to colonialism, mm -hmm. where we had the French and, and the English and, and now even the U.S. destroying yeah. the Middle East today in 2018, saying we need to go in and save women because of feminism. Of course, now after a century of de destruction in the name of feminism, yeah. our, our, we are understandably averse to that word. We don't want to use it. And so the issue is now a lot of feminists in the Middle East, when we say feminism, we're seen as traitors. We're seen as emulating very corrupt American and European values. So it's really hard for a lot of feminists in the Middle East because you have to figure out, okay, I believe in this thing, mm -hmm. but I don't believe in this word the or label. I want to use this word. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. It became more of a label than an actual word and what it is. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Feminism is a great thing. It's a great thing to be. But like you said, it ties to Western society. It ties to colonialism. So you kind of avoid mm -hmm. that. So then it's like, what do you do? Do you still call yourself something or do you just do your work without finding the need for a label. You know what I mean? And everyone's different. I've met yeah. a lot of women who say, hey, I'm an activist, but I don't use that word. And that's fine. That's you don't me. need to be yeah. labeled. Yeah, I don't like um, that. That is you, Dunya. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I, I just, I find it because you know why? Because when you say, oh, I'm an activist, people expect you to be this like great leader that's going to every march, going to every country and fighting and all that. But it's like, no, I, I'm, I don't really do that, but I feel like I do try to activate or, um, help others as much as I can in my own way. So I just feel like I don't want to be called an activist yeah. because everybody has their own definition for a certain word. So yeah, again, right. back to feminism, that's how you feel too, right? Or... Well, I actually do use the word feminist. Yeah. I just, I'm care. I think it's not black and white where I walk around mm -hmm. with that word on my forehead all the time. I use it very consciously in particular contexts, knowing that it'll either um, give me strength in that situation if I use it, or it'll give me strength in a situation if I don't use it. Because you don't want to turn people off from you just because of one word that they have an opinion of. Yeah. So if I walk into a room of people who don't like that word, but they still want what I want in terms of goals, then I won't use the word. And then, then that way they're still open to working with me and hearing me out and, and collaborating and moving our agenda forward, if that makes sense. No, that makes does. complete sense. 
it's just, just yeah you just know what group you're about to go and talk to and you just know how to you know convey your message without turning them off like you said right from the start before even right. you saying a word you know what i mean right. do you think that the muslim and arab world can work together can, can coexist with feminists feminism the whole movement i read an article that was saying that a lot of people are not too happy about the movement you're creating because we need to focus on the palestinian israeli fight before occupation on the feminist you know woman movement well first of all yeah the feminism and any group of people aren't mutually exclusive and as you said earlier i mean even islam in its very foundation going back to the days of the prophet uh peace be upon him um was very feminist he was putting forth ideals that were not really quite heard of before um and and i think that religion does remain unique in that sense in a lot of ways to this day um and, and, and so it's not mutually exclusive because at the end of the day, it's feminism or any sort of sense of human rights isn't based on race or nationality or geography. Um, it's much it's much different than that. Um, but in terms of talking about specifically Palestine, it's a bit more complicated than it is, I think, in other parts of the Middle East, because not only are we dealing with you know, local systems of patriarchy, you know, as people are all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not only dealing with uh, Western stereotypes of Arab and Muslim women, like other, like our neighboring Arab countries are, but we're also dealing with occupation. There's like this third element that is really unique um, and placing an even heavier burden upon Palestinians than, and I think many other groups in the world. Um, And so understandably, you want to put all of your focus and energy onto this issue that is affecting everyone. Um, that is the number one element that is keeping us from, from ultimate freedom. That being said, there's no such thing as freedom in one sense and isolating it from any other element of society, whether it's women's rights, environmental rights, education reform, all of these things have to be working together hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to, re- to to strengthen our opportunity for national liberation, it comes from both sides. And this is something that many activists and feminists um, and politicians before me have said, whether you know it's Hanan Ashrawi um, or Sahar Khalife from Nablus, um, women have been fighting for generations because they understand that their place in society is going to strengthen our opportunity for national liberation and that you can't have a free nation with only half of the population um, liberated that is so true it it should never the conversation should never be occupation versus feminism these like you said they're not mutually exclusive like we should be able to combat feminism at the same time as we're combating occupation so feminism honestly yes it's for women but also affects the men in our society as well you know we're all we gotta all be come together in some way and fight for each other's freedoms so we can't be a, a society that's free if our if we're still dealing with these issues like locally like you said exactly so it's like when it comes to the, your brand, Baby Fist, like I'm intrigued to know where that term, your the name of your brand came from. It's so cute. I love it. it like is, it's like it is. I would never have came up with it, but I love and it. I want to know why yeah. Baby Fist. Like, what does it mean? Um. Okay. Well, it, um, <laughs> as I said, the name I sat on deciding a name for a while. I wanted it to come to me, um, kind of naturally. And one day, you know, I'm I'm hanging out with my friends in Ramallah and. 
anything, I, I wholeheartedly believe that anything happening in Ramallah, anything happening in Palestine, whether it's the West Bank or Gaza, is happening because of grassroots change, grassroots efforts on the hand, like in the hands of the youth. Absolutely. Anything, um, whether it's the underground music scene, electronic, techno, whether it's the theater scene, the dance scene, the poet, the slam poetry scene, everything is happening in the hands of the youth, right? Anything that's beautiful um, and new and exciting and, cha- and changing the very face of what it means to be a Palestinian today. Um, and so I'm hanging out with these people and someone is, you know, yawning and making this tiny little baby fist. And I, I saw it and I thought that and I said, that's the name because the baby fist in essence means the defiant youth, these people who are so determined to challenge the idea that they can't make change because of their age, um, because of generations of oppression, because of this idea of inherited oppression. Um, this is a generation that is fed up and, and is trying the most unique and creative ways of reinforcing um, their identities. And the name isn't so far-fetched because honestly, that's what I assumed it yeah, to yeah. mean. But I, I kind of like your explanation and description behind it because I'm so amazed to see like when I like find a new brand and I start supporting it and then you start realizing like who's the one that created it and it's the youth. It's like young kids like, you know, in their teens and their early 20s. And I'm like, this is amazing because yeah. it gives me hope. It means that the topic of Palestine will forever stay on the tip of our tongues. Like we're just because our elders, you know, they're growing older and they're not going to be fighting as much as they used to fight in their younger days. At least now we have a whole new generation. That's not giving up on this fight. And I also that, think we have yeah. a whole new platform that's making it easier for these people to Absolutely. raise their voices and, and be more involved in the fight. Yeah. I mean, how, look, what does your team consist of? Like, do you have a team? Do you hire certain people? I mean, what, like, how does that work? Yeah, so as we grow, the team is getting bigger. Um, and I have a team that's, thank you, that's split up between here in the U.S. and in Palestine. Um, so here in the U.S., everyone that works with me is freelance. So that would be our photographer, Sundus Alfi. If you don't follow her already on Instagram, it's Sundus Alfi Photo. Go follow her. Her work is amazing. Because I she love your photos. Yeah. Thank you. She focuses on empowering um, and shedding the light on women of color. You know, these mm-hmm. atypical versions of beauty that we're not allowed to accept or cherish growing up as women of color. Um, so, she, you know, I love working with her. Every photo we put forth is, is her work. Um, I also work with Malek Saleh. She's our videographer. Um, and we brought her onto the team very recently. But in Palestine, our team is um, the number one force making everything happening in Palestine is um, Amira Khadr. And she is my right-hand woman. She works in Palestine. She runs a store. She oversees production. She works very closely with our manufacturer in Gaza, bringing designs to life, quality control. She also single-handedly organizes and executes all of our menstrual education workshops. She pulls the team together. She gets the transportation, the photographer. She she, um, individually packs all of the little um, bags that the girls receive, which feature the pads and pamphlets and so on and so forth. So if you are in Ramallah or are going to Ramallah, you have to just stop by the store and say hello to her. Um, give her a quick hug. <laughs> I definitely want to, because I really am craving to go to Ramallah yeah. this summer and I truly miss it. And I try to go to Ramallah every year. So it's just like, that's my spot. Ramallah is just where it's like, I haven't been back home in about three years. Three years. So much. Mine has been a year, but now yeah. it's like, I'm going to visit you. Where are you exactly? in Ramallah because I'm pretty familiar with Ramallah the store yeah 
So we're in Ramallah Tahta. Um, we're at this um, new cafe. It's really lovely called Bet Ardi. Oh, um, yeah, they're they're in an old home. You know, the traditional arched yeah. um, ceilings and the windows, and it's this beautiful garden. Um, with you know, overlooked by these trees, and we're just across the street next to a little bakery called Velvet with the sweetest family-run. Um, That's why I love Ramallah store. because each business has like a family story and they're so yeah. welcoming and it's like literally you're going almost as if it's like your dad's store like when you're walking into any store in Ramallah that's what I love about it but you know what I find is interesting is that you used to live in North Carolina and then you moved to Palestine and I feel like that's where this whole not your habibti and the baby fist kind of originated right like why did you feel like at that moment that this needed to be done is it because of the se- sexual harassment you were facing at that moment or um, so, you know, I was raised between Palestine and um, the U.S. my whole life. But yes. when I would go back to Palestine, um, initially, we were just going back to my family's village um, in the north, which is a very small, very conservative. Um, and we never really went out without a car or we were at home with family. So I'd never really been. And then, before, you know, up until I was 20, I was just in university and I was a very protected bubble. I would go to class and then just go home. I was not very social. So I had not really seen the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a rural area where you don't walk places. You just you take the car, drive 10, 15 minutes to the grocery store. And so I'd never been on the streets in any sense of it. Um, and when I graduated uni, my family at that point, who are ba- my mom, my sisters and everyone, they're all based in Ramallah. So I joined them after I graduated finally. Um, and then I got an apartment in the center of the city and suddenly I was out in the world. Yeah. in a way that I had never been before. And I'm sure it would have been the same if I was in London or New York or whatever. Yeah, but Chicago, I just happened, definitely. Yeah. Right, exactly. But I just happened to be there at that time. And it felt confusing for me because I was like, also being, I was being kind of ostracized by some people. I would get into a taxi cab and in complete imperfect Palestinian Arabic, I'd say where yeah. I wanted to go. And he'd say, you're not from here because of your, the way you're holding yourself up because you're speaking kind of loudly because you're making eye contact. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I felt like, why are all of these strict um, characteristics for this docile, voiceless woman yeah. being used to characterize Palestinians and then like non-Palestinians, which I felt yeah. was not fair or true or accurate and, yeah, so it kind of grew from there. Yeah, because that is interesting. Because when people get in the taxi cabs on a mullah, you just tell them where you're going and that's it. But when I went, I mean, I would hold conversations with them. And I mean, Wola, you hear the most beautiful stories, but right away they know you're not they from know. here. Yeah, they know. And I would like to think that my Arabic is at least semi decent, that I don't give myself away. <laughs> but clearly, just you talking out loud or just speaking your mind is kind of, yeah, like, whoa, she's definitely not from here. So, but again, again, this is not just exclusive to Palestine. This is not exclusive to Middle Eastern countries. This happens everywhere you go. Definitely. Like, um, yeah. And I want to go back to the menstruation campaign that you have going on, because I think that's amazing that you are doing that. That's a topic that usually women do not talk about right. because you feel embarrassed, ashamed. So, when it's yeah, part of so your body. 10% of all your mm-hmm. proceeds go to local women organizations. I read that like you guys do women's right workshops, clothing drives, school drives. And then like uh, Danielle was saying, one of the things that you guys do is the menstruation education campaign. Can you like elaborate on like where that idea came from and why you felt it was so important? Yeah. For the menstrual education? Yes. Yeah, so we launched that in October 2018, so just not even six months ago, Um, and we thought it was going to be a one-time thing. Usually our, as you mentioned, we've done a number of things, clothes drives, school, um, school supplies drives. Usually we'll do it for like a month or two when we'll move on to the next topic. 
This was the first time ever, though, when we did this project, that our team felt like we were seeing real change happening in our youth. Um, and we were like, we can't let this go yet. This needs to be given more time, more investment, more energy, because you could actively see what was happening within these young girls. Within the space of one hour, they knew they went from knowing nothing about their bodies to knowing quite a bit about their bodies. And not only knowing about their bodies, but loving their bodies, it, yeah. loving their bodies, celebrating yes. them. Thank yeah. you. That's why I'm so like amazed that you did that because I mean, this might be embarrassing, but like, obviously when you're a young girl and this time of the month comes around for the first time, I remember what happened. My mom was on the phone and obviously, you know, it occurred and I was like, um, hello, I like, what's going on here? And the only thing that was exchanged between me and my mom was literally just the sanitary napkin and we've never discussed it ever since. And I'm almost ashamed as an adult that I still don't know why this happens. Like everything behind it. And I, I, we don't talk openly about it. It's just something Mm -hmm. that you just whisper about like I would never say out loud anything so how do you see that change the women like or the little girls that you guys are educating like how are they now after they you know went through this um education campaign um well as I said they're they're educated in a way they weren't before and one of the things so we win the curriculum itself changed quite rapidly um from the very first workshop that we did to what we have now because we wanted to let the girls sort of drive what we were teaching them. So we opened up the space and said, you can ask anything you want to ask, no censorship. Um, and they, we were not even sure that they knew what reproduction was. And yet Mm -hmm. sure enough, they wanted to know. Yeah, They wanted to know everything. So we ended up not even restricting it to menstruation, although that's the focus. We went into reproductive, reproductive health, um, and, methods of contraception, um, all of these things, because this is what they wanted to know. And they'd never been given the space to ask it casually, safely, with confidence, and with and to receive answers with love. Exactly. To receive it, an answer that wasn't drenched in shame, or you're a shameful girl for asking this question and thinking these things. And that's not, you know, as you said, Middle Eastern or anything, or Arab. No. Um, I was watching last night the the new Amy Schumer special on Netflix, and she was talking about how she did the same thing growing up. See, you know, because it's an and awkward I'm, conversation yeah. almost with your mom. Like, how do you have this conversation? And it's like even awkward for your mom because your mom never had it with her, this conversation with her mom. So it's like uh-huh. we need to stop the cycle. And like you said, it's our today's youth that's doing that. Like, thanks to you and your team that's doing that. That thought of outside of the box and went to these schools and but and open the doors for these girls to have these uncomfortable conversations in a comfortable setting, which is amazing. And I love that you did that. And the generation is doing a really good job at like using our own experiences and like moving forward from that. Yeah. Like we're we're learning like the things that we didn't know growing up, the things that we experienced growing up and we're kind of like progressing in a way that like the next generation doesn't have to worry about because we're opening that floor for the conversation. Do you see this? I mean, these, um, campaigns or these uh, workshops are happening in Palestine, right? So mm-hmm. do you see this maybe coming to the U.S.? Because I'm sorry, we do need it over here too for the young girls. It's, you know. Uh, maybe. I mean, the difference between the U.S. and Palestine is the U.S. does include it and in it's, it's like a require. I believe it's a mandatory um, element of public school education. Even if it's not well done, it's still it's there. It's not well in done. Palestine, 
That's yeah. what I meant to say because I remember we went on this little school field trip and it's just awkward. You have the boy saying ooh in one yeah. second, the girl saying yuck on the next. Like, you know what I mean? I, I think it's much better when the way you have it set up. Can you tell us how you have it set up? Don't you have a doctor coming in and explaining all of this in the workshops? Yeah. Um, so we divide it into two halves. Um, so the doctor and the pharmacist work together to educate the girls about the physiological effects happening in their bodies, um, what's happening inside their bodies, what's happening on the outside of their bodies physically, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, the, the growth of breasts and th- the hips, yep. things like this. Um, so we spend a lot of time educating them with the ins and outs of their physical bodies. And then in the second half, we have an artist, Lena, um, um, her last name now it's okay. um but we can include it um later yeah. but lena she works um she's an artist and she's a very passionate artist um she works with the girls for the second half of the um workshop, the workshop. and they she'll have them first draw a picture of how they envision themselves and so some girls will draw mosques or butterflies or mothers or doctors um and then they're allowed to go through all these activities continuously re-envisioning themselves and drawing themselves and making their their ideas of what it means to be a young woman manifest on a piece of paper um, and then talking about it and knowing that because you're experiencing these things, menstruation, mm-hmm. you can still be all of these things. And in fact, it's probably more of a reason that you should be all of yeah. these things. Yes. That it doesn't mean you should be dropping out of school or it doesn't mean you can't go to uni or that it doesn't mean that you're um, inherently nasty or you can't be in a public space um or something's wrong with you or that this should be hidden um they're made to understand that this is natural god-given and beautiful yeah what, what's happening within your body should never be an obstacle when it comes to the world around you and the capabilities and what you can achieve one day inshallah Absolutely. it should never mm. it should never hinder you or restrain you or limit you and i think mm-hmm. it's beautiful to start with that with these conversations with young girls, we have to start it then because like I said, I mean, I, I was never exposed to those type of amazing workshops like that. It was just very like, I don't know how to, like you said, rigid and just like brush aside and just, let's just do it. Like check it off the box, check the box off and that's it. But this is amazing. So it makes me want to transition into your typewriter project. I love the idea of that, and I want you to talk about it because I had a different idea about what it is, but yeah, why you don't blew you my just mind. explain exactly yeah. what it is? Yeah, sure. I'll just start with how it, the very first time I ever did it. Um, I did it in the first few days of October 2017, yeah. which was right around the time that the Harvey Weinstein accusations were rolling out. Dang, so me too. Two years ago. I can't believe it. Yeah. I thought it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think because it's um, still it's going on, time. it's just mm-hmm. fresh in our minds. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and that was kind of before the Me Too movement as we, as we know it now. Mm-hmm. That was before that had taken place. Um, and it, it took place because I had experienced my first serious confrontation with uh, street harassment just a few weeks before. Um, and it left me traumatized in a way that I did not I had not ever experienced before. Um, and I was angry and I was frustrated and I was heartbroken and, and I needed a space to talk about it in a very public way. I wanted to stop pushing it into like workshops behind closed doors into these like sort of safe, even if they were public safe spaces online, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be very public and very physical. So I took it to a spot that I felt like we should talk about this where it happens on the street. So I took up my typewriter that I borrowed from this um, really lovely old man in the ballad, oh. and he gave it to me for that day. And I set it up in um, the water clock circle in the middle yes. of the yep. um, for five hours. And that day, 
you know, women were walking by for five hours and I was just like, Hey, do you want to come forward and tell me your story about sexual harassment and street harassment? And a lot of women said, no, of course, <laughs> no, like, yeah. yes. but that day something like 50 women did say, you know what? Yeah, I do want to talk about this. And they wow. pulled up a chair and they sat. And as they told me their stories, I would type them. Um, and that, that sort of kicked off what came to be an ongoing series. I did it several times, um, in the streets again at, a lot of U- um, universities across the West Bank, Bethlehem University, Birzeit University, um, uh, Al-Quds Bard University. Um, wow. And then it got picked up by someone uh, at Dartmouth, Sumner Matthews. She was like, hey, I really want you to bring this to my university. And eventually that kind of grew into a larger U.S. tour where I visited seven universities, including Harvard, Dartmouth, Brown. Um, wow. And now we're doing it again this year. It's taking, a, we're launching it in the first of April, um, at Stanford. And then we're going to visit six more universities. And like you're all coming the to Chicago. I'm yeah, so excited. <laughs> I want to see this in person, but I like that you made that, um, statement about how a girl from the U S contacted you. So clearly, like we always say, it's not just an issue that's happening in the Middle East. It's all, it's all around the world. And it's just amazing that you started it and here you are, you're speaking about it worldwide and I know didn't you say you went to Italy too once with this yeah yeah yeah. I was in Rome as well and the and what ended up happening was across Palestine Rome and the U.S. if I gave you um right now if I give the two of you just um a handful of the letters from that from that entire trip yeah not telling you where it came from which country and I asked you to pin it on the map according to where you think it came from you couldn't these stories transcend nationality and race and geography in every sense of the word, this is at the end of the day, a very universal thing. Honor killing, when I heard the honor killing stories happening in Italy, my blood froze, but I was also in a strange way relieved because the yeah. world loves to paint Arabs and Muslims and the Middle East as somehow the only perpetrators of violence against women. And that's just not true. Yeah, they no, make us not. seem like we're savage and we're barbaric and honor killings happen like, like all the time and it's just a natural thing. But no, it happens everywhere. And I think it's very yeah. important to know that sometimes the media is from the perspective of the U.S. So who is yeah, the enemy of the, the U.S. World, or yeah. the created enemy is us yeah. the middle east you know what i mean i don't want I mean, to get too deep into it but that's the reason why people look at us as the savages exactly. and right. here i am i would have never thought rome or italy yeah would have honor well, killings i mean i was getting my nails done yesterday and i'm watching the tv <laughs> hey. and on local news this man killed his wife right and they're yeah. like they're like we're not sure what happened to him and it's like no that's an honor killing yeah like that's the same thing that happens all over the world but the u.s love to make it this like obscure once in a blue moon yeah. when actually it happens all the a time lot. the the, the rates of lot. it does happen a lot the rates of domestic violence are exactly the same that they are um you know like i think it's like over 30 percent in the u.s if not double that it's the same as it is in so many other parts of the world it's ridiculous if you look at the numbers yeah it's, no, it's, I, it's universal know, i work at a news station and we just did a story about how the leading cause of preventable death in america is domestic violence wow yep. So it's yeah. it's prevalent everywhere. But who do we, when you think of domestic violence, who do you think yeah. of right away? Uh, Middle Eastern men, they exactly. oppress us, they attack us. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, no, it's not that at My all. main question is, like, as a journalist, sometimes talking to people, it's hard for them to open up. How do you get people to open up and share their stories with you mm-hmm. so, like, freely? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, well, I what typically when they sit down in the chair across from me, they're very... You, they're very um, there's a wall up, 
for mm-hmm. sure. They're suspicious. You know, who is this person um, that wants to talk to me? But I also know that people have stories that are brimming, almost about to spill over because everyone needs to open up, yes. right? It's for our own sanity, our own health. And what I do is I'll just kind of inch forward like a few previous stories and they'll start reading and say, oh, that's mine. That's my story. Or that happened to me. And then they're like, okay, I'm ready. And then then they'll open up. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, that is. Yeah, thank I, you. I really love that. That is so beautiful. Honestly, Yasmin, um, I commend you for all that you're doing. Um, you, your brand is new. It's relatively new. It's been around for a year and a half to two years. But I mean, the success that is has come upon because of your brand is amazing. The conversations that have started because of your brand is well needed and much needed. And um, I truly, I, I'm like, I'm here to see what else is in store for you, your brand, what else you have for us that's coming out. And um, I, I'm always here yeah, to support your brand. We're always on here. Everything. Um, yeah. For those that haven't, if you've been living under a rock and don't know what you always say that, <laughs> go because like no, there's like a few brands, few people that you need to know. Yes, like, these baby, brands need is... to get spotlighted. And absolutely, if you haven't checked them out, go on their Instagram, go on their website. You have really, really well like written articles on your website too people yes. need to read those check those out because it's amazing that's babyfist.com there's no hyphen or under is there it's just there's a there's a dash it's baby-fist.com yes. yes and then on instagram it's just babyfist right yep yeah i i definitely think um people need to follow you and follow it's not just a brand you're following a movement a revolution and it's it's amazing yes me yes definitely yeah thank you so much for talking to us today yeah, we no, truly appreciate you, you. Do you want to leave off with anything just for anybody to know anything that's, you know, we probably didn't get to cover or? No, I just want to say thank you for the platform. It's about time that we took back the yeah. conversation. I'm proud of you guys for I launching love that. this. Thank you. I really thank love you. that. And I was like, baby, fits, yes, mean has to be like one of the first few because I just, I just want people to be more exposed to these type of movements that are much needed. And like you said, we're not here to just donate and just forget about a campaign. We're here to give back to our community. So thank you for giving back to Palestine for creating an, a, a stability in our economy. And you're trying to do that. So thank you again for that as well. And inshallah, if anybody's ever in Ramallah, make sure you visit. <laughs> all right girl thank you have a great weekend enjoy your uh lovely saturday and sunday you're done with yoga Halas. what's next for the rest of your day no i'm just writing and reading all day perfect that sounds like a perfect saturday all right love take care (laughs) 